0: Hi there, and welcome to this episode of the Love to Tell the Story podcast. I'm Michael Lowry, pastor of East Congregational United Church of Christ in Concord, New Hampshire. The Bible is filled with stories of God's people who have a passion for the Word and all that it means for life and living. The question is, do you and I have that same kind of passion in our own lives? That's the question we're addressing in today's message which is based on chapter 8 of the Old Testament book of Nehemiah, and begins with some memories about children who are always asking, why? Well, you know, for obvious reasons, I have been reflecting a lot these days about the whole journey and adventure of parenting. And anticipating grandchildren has made me look back a lot at uh, how it was to raise our three when they were young. And you know what? Over the years as a parent, I, I learned an awful lot. But I discovered early on that one of the very first signs that your children are growing up is they don't ask you why as often as they used to. I mean, this is not to say that that question doesn't get asked as your kids get older. Sometimes even as adults, they'll ask you sometimes. But it is nothing compared to that blessed time right around the ages three or four when it seemed like every other word is why. Daddy, why is the sky blue? Daddy, why does it thunder? Daddy, why is that dog barking? Daddy, why does that man have bright green spiky hair and a big earring in his nose? That actually happened one time while waiting in a hospital emergency room in Portland. And I gave the most proper parental answer I could at the time. I went, shh. <laughs> And the beauty part, and you parents and grandparents all know this, is that every one of these why questions inevitably leads to another. And so even as involved and and attentive parents, we wanted to answer each and every question with love, care, sincere enthusiasm. Sooner or later, do they not? They wear us down. And so we end up resorting to that all-purpose answer of the impatient Because, just because. What I learned, however, like I said before, is what eventually happens is that all those why questions, the ones that just seem to be so endless for a while, start to come fewer and farther between. And it's understandable why. Your children go off to school for too long, the answers to crucial questions that once could only be found with mom and dad or Grammy and Grampy now come from their teachers, uh, out of textbook books and worksheets, not to mention from places like Google and Wikipedia. And truthfully, you know what? It's kind of sad, really. I mean, it's, it is a part of things. I get it. But it's sad, and not just because your babies have made their first cautious steps out into the world. But also it's sad because the more they learn, you see, the more that this world around them has become, well, for lack of a better word, commonplace. All too often, way too early in my opinion, things like snowy mornings, brightly lit starry skies, crawling bugs, they cease to become, uh, be a source of great curiosity and wonder that they, they once were when they were little. Like I said, it's all part of growing up, I suppose. But what's sad is that when you start moving on from that wonder, something of vital importance gets lost along the way. Well, in a very real way, this does connect to our text for this morning that Kay read to us from the Old Testament book of Nehemiah. Now the Old Testament book of Nehemiah or at least this reading anyway sort of concludes a story that we've actually been visiting here and there all throughout the past several months in, in, during Advent, through Christmas and through the season of Epiphany. And the story of the people of Israel finally returning home to Jerusalem after having spent many years living in Babylonian exile. Actually, these were what was left of the people of Israel. Because after years of slavery, generations of slavery really, there were far fewer of them than there were before. And those who remained were poor. They were demoralized. They were frightened. They have literally suffered for generations only to come home to face a land in ruins and a city and a city that had all been but destroyed. They come home, all right, and it was a long time coming, and it was a glorious thing that they were home. But now, you see, now that they were home, they were faced with this arduous process of rebuilding their city and rebuilding their lives. To that end, two men of God came forward. The first was Nehemiah, who had been appointed governor of Israel and who had been sent to help the people rebuild their land. If you read through Nehemiah, you're going to find tons of minutiae about that rebuilding, particularly as it involves the temple. So there was Nehemiah, but there was also Ezra, Ezra the priest, who had come to help the people rebuild something Almost more difficult than the city wall, that is, the integrity of their faith and worship. For you see, over the long years of exile, and we've reflected on this off and on through these months, through those long years of exile, much of the tradition and the practice of their faith have been lost, along with their understanding of the law. Like I said, this went on for generations and when each new generation there were fewer and fewer of them who could even remember God's word much less follow it. So in essence these people of God of whom we read today were but a shadow of their ancestry and the time for rebuilding both literally and spiritually had come. So As we pick up the reading today, we're told that on this particular day, just after the walls of the city had been rebuilt, all the people gathered together into the square before the water gate so that they could hear the Torah being read. Now, we need to understand just how incredibly significant a thing this was. This was literally the first time in many, many years that the word of God had actually been spoken aloud. And what makes this all the more significant is it wasn't Ezra the priest who initiated the event. It was the people, the people who told Ezra to bring the book of the laws of Moses which the Lord had given to Israel so that everyone, both men and women and all those who could hear with understanding, could be able to hear the word of God. But here's the key point of this story, friends. We are then told that the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. In fact, we find out that this reading of scripture that's described in Nehemiah went on from early morning until midday maybe six hours worth of this, while the Levite priests circulated amongst the people to help everyone there in interpreting the law so they could understand what was being read. We're told in this passage that this was a service of worship and celebration of the highest order. Now that in and of itself is actually a pretty radical concept for us 21st century Christians, don't you think? I mean, can you imagine any of us gathering for a six-hour worship service in this place? I know sometimes it seems that way. But can you really, in reality, could you imagine sitting in these pews six solid hours? Let's be honest about this, friends. After 90 minutes, most of us would have been out the door to the Arrow Diner. But such was the great power of what was happening in that worship, that well over a half a day passed, and these people didn't even blink. In fact, if anything, they wanted more. Even more interesting, though, is their reaction to actually hearing God's word being spoken unto them. First of all, it's not taken lightly. Unlike the countless speeches they must have heard as the rebuilding was going on, this was much, much more than an inspirational pep talk. Moreover, though they were clearly being taught by what they were hearing, they weren't responding to all of this as though they had been subjected to an academic lecture. No, their response, their reaction, was much more profound. We're told that the people of Israel first reacted with great and utter humility, raising their hands and answering, Amen, Amen, and then bowing their heads, worshiping God with their faces to the ground. See, that was in keeping with tradition and the liturgy of their ancestors. And, and, and was more or less to be expected. It was in keeping, I suspect, with the stories that their grandparents and and others had told them over the many years of how it used to be. Then, Then the people respond to this reading of the word by doing something we don't expect. They begin to weep. They all start to cry. We're not told exactly what it is that set off all the weeping. Maybe it was a specific teaching that brought up all kinds of memories or stories that they had heard. Perhaps it had something to do with the realization of how far they had all strayed from God's path in all those years of exile. Or perhaps the tears were the result of of having heard Some of them, maybe for the very first time, the same promise of deliverance that God had given their ancestors who had been in bondage in Egypt and to Pharaoh. Or maybe, maybe it was the renewed hope, the the, the, the reality that maybe the city of ruins in which they now stood would again rise up and so would they as a people of faith entering into a time of glory and prosperity. Or maybe it was all of it combined. Who knows what will make tears well up within our hearts. The point was that they were hearing the word of God and it was moving them in such a way that they couldn't help but raise up their hands to heaven. That they could not help but fall to their knees and be moved to absolute tears. In this time of worship, their lives were beginning again and they were filled with a passion for God's word. Something that touches them so deeply that they cannot help but become completely involved with each and every part of the word that they were hearing. Now, I don't know about you, friends, but I hear that passage and I have to wonder, when do we lose that kind of passion for the word? It's a good question for us to ask your friends. When was it when you and I were last truly moved by the word of God? Or is it that God's word has become so familiar to our ears, so utterly commonplace, there's that word, so utterly commonplace in the lexicon of our lives that somewhere along the way we lost the awe and the power of it? And if that's the case, friends, where has the wonder of it gone? Beloved, we come to this place Sunday after Sunday, we, we open the Bible, we read aloud that which we consider to be the Word of God, the Word of God Almighty, divine words. But the question is, how are we responding to that word? Does that word touch our lives in any kind of real fashion? Does it move us to praise Does it move us to tears? Does it stir us or maybe even disturb us to the point where we can't rest until we get a sense of it? Until we can begin to understand its consequences for us as a people right here and now? Do we even believe it? Or have we heard it so much that it somehow stopped being real for us? I'm reminded here of something Annie Dillard wrote in a collection of essays from some years ago. It is in a book entitled Teaching a Stone to Talk. Now, odds are you may have heard this quote before, as I'll have to tell you, over the years it's become quite famous amongst us preacher clergy types, and for good reason. In this essay, Dillard suggests that none of us have the foggiest idea of the power that we blithely invoke as Christians. It is madness, she writes, to wear ladies' straw hats and velvet hats to church. We should be wearing crash helmets. (laughs) Ushers should issue life preservers and signal flares. They should lash us to our pews, for, Dillard says, the sleeping God may awake someday and take offense, or the waking God may draw us out to where we can never return. I fully expect uh, Myron to be passing out life preservers next Sunday. I love that quote. After all these years, I still love that quote. Because central to our Christian faith, you see, is the belief that ours is a living And that even now, God's Spirit is moving in and through our lives. That that Spirit is rousing us. That it is guiding us and leading us. That it's radically changing us for the sake of His kingdom. And doing so with great and redeemed love. That you and I are ready and willing to be moved. Ought to be reflected in our worship. And in our attentiveness to God's word. But of course, so often that's the problem for us, isn't it? And you've got to wonder why it's a problem. Well, maybe the problem is fear. Because certainly to be moved means that you're going to face the unknown. Or maybe it's a lack of understanding of what God's word actually means for us. Because truly, to wholly understand God's word is a lifetime endeavor. Remember a few weeks ago, we talked about how we are to be apprentices of our Lord. And that is a lifetime task. And even when you've studied that for a lifetime, it becomes a leap of faith at times. Moreover, there are those among us who who fight God's word tooth and nail. There are people, maybe even those among us, who find fault with everything God's word reveals and thus defiantly keep it all along with God himself at arm's length. And then there are others of us for reasons we may not ever understand. Don't even feel worthy to move with God. And so we hang back. And we're never moved at all. My point in all of this is that there are so many of us, again, maybe even some of us who are in the sanctuary this morning, maybe some of us who are watching the service online, who in all truthfulness are still living in exile. People who have deeply longed to be at home with God, but have long felt in a place far removed from where God is. If you are one of those people, friends, I'm here to tell you this morning, coming home to God begins with turning to God's word. It sounds simple, and and really, friends, it is. And it starts with opening your Bible. It starts with reading your Bible. And let me say this, it matters less where you start reading than you do start reading. You need to know your Bible. And you come to know it by immersing yourselves in God's word. And that takes time, that takes effort, that will include stumbling from time to time, but it will take us to places where we never dreamed we could go. Now, understand, friends, that that sometimes God's word warms our hearts. Very often it will give us the reassurance and strength that we want and that we need. But sometimes God's word will shake us to the very core of our being. There will be times when we will struggle to try and understand what's being said to us there we will ask ourselves, does this even apply to us? Does this have any relevance in the 21st century? But I'll tell you what, there will also be times in which we will struggle with God's words because we're reading it there and we do understand what has been said to us. But in praise and celebration... With tears shed and in wisdom gained by God's word, immersing ourselves in God's word will make us be moved to a greater understanding of ourselves and our lives. We will know the joy that comes in being grounded in the word. And when we're grounded in the word, being at home with God. Did you notice that at the end of our text for this morning, after the end of this very long day of worship, Ezra and Nehemiah and all the Levites along with him, they say to the people who had all gathered "They, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. (laughs) And then afterwards, they send the people out to celebrate to eat the fat, and to drink sweet wine, to share this feast with others all around them. Friends, there is no Weight Watchers in Holy Scripture. (laughs) But there's never to be any lingering sadness either. Because when we are moved by the Word of God, there is joy and there is strength. We are moved in and through life and we find something in life that we never had before. Purpose, love, caring, redemption. Dear friends, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And the word of God is our guide to that joy. It seemed to me as I was preparing the sermon this week that we had just finished several weeks of, of resolutions for the spiritual life. This is kind of a bonus sermon about that, because that should be our resolution as well. To immerse ourselves in the word of God, because the word of God is our guide to the joy of the Lord. So let us rejoice, friends, in a true passion for that word. Blessing the name of the Lord as we do, day by day by day by day. Thanks be to God. Amen and amen. And that's the message entitled, A Passion for the Word. It was recorded during our February the 13th service of worship at East Congregational Church in Concord, New Hampshire. Now, if you'd like to be a part of one of those services live and in person, we would love to have you join us. We gather every Sunday morning for worship at 10 o'clock at the church on 51 Mountain Road, just off exit 16 on I-93 in Concord. Or else, you can always join us for one of those services live online a Facebook Live on our East Congregational Church Facebook page, or afterwards posted on our East Church YouTube channel. However it happens for you, we would love to have you be a part of our worship, and I think you'll be glad you came. And with that, we come to the close of another episode of this Love to Tell the Story podcast. I'm Michael Lowry, and I do thank you for listening today. And until next time, stay safe, Be well, and may God bless you with a great day every day. Talk to you soon.